This podcast has been very kindly sponsored by our friends over at Libra. If you want to find out more about Libra's products or brilliant innovations, please click the link at the bottom. On today's Tales from the Hook, we have the fantastic Amy Law. Amy is working as Head of Marketing and Sales at Machine Max. Amy has previously worked for Likes of Huden, Caterpillar, JCB, Flannery's, GKD, and many more. Amy has had a long history within construction, and I'm really looking forward to talking to her a bit more about her past, what she's currently doing at Machine Max, the future of telematics, uh, the future fuels data, sustainability, everything. Welcome to the show, Amy. Hello, Katie. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm very excited. No, not as excited as I am. I, I'm really looking forward <laughs> to delving into some of the stuff that I just don't understand. So every every day's a school day for me. But um... Oh, no. Now I've got to remember what I do and why we do it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, tough. It's always a tough ask. But, um, I th- On a Friday, oh, I'm sorry. I know. I think what we're what I'm going to delve into first, Amy, because I know you've worked for some of the big guns in the game, mm-hmm. uh, doing so at the moment. I'm sure I said it earlier, but Amy is head of marketing and sales at Machine Max. But previous to this, she's worked for the likes of Huden's, JCB, Flannery's, Caterpillar. Uh, JK, GKD, um, and yeah, currently long and checkered history, isn't it? <laughs> so well, well, well embedded in industry, I would say, throughout your years. Mm-hmm. But I guess what I want to know, Amy, is how how did you get there? When you were at school, did you did you kind of know you wanted to go this way, or? Uh, so I had many career paths in my head when I was at school. I was going to be a horse rider. I was going to be a doctor. Then I, I downgraded slightly and decided I'd be a physio um, and then I couldn't do chemistry at A-level. So I ended up doing marketing at university because I was very lucky in that I have um, an uncle who has his own business and every summer to pay for my horse habit, he'd let me go and work and help in one of his departments. And um, yeah, I worked in purchasing and design and um, accounting and um, or the finance team and uh, yeah and and sort of got to understand a little bit about marketing and it seemed like a good degree to do because I could go away go to university and 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 get a bit drunk for three years <laughs> and that seemed attractive so uh, yeah so that's what I did um, and I went to uni where we had to do a third year placement year so I was right. in I was looking for an internship and I was in Leicester and um, again, um, because I'm very proactive about my life, I applied for one placement <laughs> and at Caterpillar and did the kind of phone interview, did the in-person interview, didn't think any more of it. And then they offered me the, the job. And, and that is kind of how I ended up in construction. Yep. Um, I had an amazing year at Caterpillar. And then after I graduated, I went back. Um, and and then I, I, d- I did have a brief period where I worked for um, Rigby and Pella lingerie as a campaign planner. And I remember this conversation with my housemates of saying, 
do you think I should stay with this or should I go back to Caterpillar? And they were like, Amy, you should stay with this. You're female, like underwear, you need that. And I was like, oh, there's just something about the big yellow diggers that I really like. So, um, yes, I went back. So I'm laughing because that was a real crossroad. Your your life could be so much different now if you chose the other crossroads. It's like sliding doors, but with your job. (laughs) I think that's brilliant. So you started out with Caterpillar then, Amy? Yes. Yeah, so always I've always worked in marketing. Um my internship was was all focused on marketing and and in those days it was like going out and doing photo shoots and launching product with dealers, um very traditional. Um I was quite lucky in that um when I went back after I graduated there was kind of a period where quite a lot happened at Cat in Desford. We got a new visitor center which is still there today. We sponsored the Leicester Tigers, so I got to do kind of a season and a half working um, on events and sponsorship and and managing that kind of sponsorship activation. Um, yeah, so it was it was a really amazing experience across all different bits of marketing. So you know, traditional comms events. Uh, lots of working with dealers and understanding their their kind of issues and what they wanted to do and how they wanted to drive sales um and uh yeah so so yeah so had had a kind of i think it was two i went back for two years and then i went to what was finning although i went to work on the huden brand um but i knew when i was going there that they were that Finning were were selling, um, and that I would be joining basically under a VC. So um, that was, yeah, my kind of introduction to the rental market in the UK. And uh, yeah, I learned I learned so much at Huden. Um, I had a really good boss who was nice. like supportive of me, just doing really whatever I wanted to do. And again, because we because mm. we were brought out by VC, we got quite a lot of investment to do some things differently. So we took on kind of 11 sales <laughs> grads and that we called the NASAs that people will remember maybe in their little Huden polos. Um, yeah, and that was in the days okay. where you still, like your sales team still had a box of brochures in the back of the car. Like um, I went to a conference okay. yesterday and someone was talking about the days of Huden when you got some brochures and you'd just go out with a call list and see who wanted to hire something. Um, so yeah, so that was a, a very different marketing experience because it was very sales focused. Like we were about driving utilization. It's an interesting one. I think the marketing the, function the space was, was there to do. I was going to ask you whether it's something that you believe that companies kind of because believed in at at the time when you were starting. Was it was it ever a tough sell that people should spend money on marketing and to try and drive business? I think that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I was very lucky because I always worked for bigger brands in yeah, those days so who it was kind of a given that they had to do that. Um, but it's certainly true that I think, you know, I, I, you know, I was there for the 2008 recession um, and 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 some downturns in some companies that, you know, things weren't all rosy um, uh, with in terms of kind of continuing investment and things and so marketing is always one of those things where you you can feel the eyes like how, what right. do, what can we get away with not doing and then you have to be creative because 
you you want to keep your job and you want to do the right thing and you want to be there when it comes out the other side because that's the other thing that we all know with with all of this isn't it that construction will be the first that goes in and and hopefully it's yep. the first that comes out the other side and it's just a big circle um so yeah so it's about kind of working out what you can do to still influence all the, the things that you want to influence but but without spending any money <laughs> yeah so, it's a yeah. tough one isn't it because it's I think a lot of companies don't always I mean you would know far better than me but I'm going to throw a generalization out there a lot of companies don't sometimes see the power in marketing and especially in branding that even if you can't follow how many sales it equates to or or how how much money it's bringing in that that especially during a recession and everything when knowing things that will pick up at the end of it that that all important constant branding of a company to be remembered when things do get better is really important yeah yeah and i think it's it's I, I think the biggest struggle for any company is is working out what that what their brand should mean because you can't fake it like you can't you can't be um you can't care about stuff that you don't actually yeah. care about i think that's the that's the reality whether you're in a recession or not in a recession and i think that people are really savvy they can tell if you're not authentic they can tell if you're saying that you care about this but actually you don't um especially now i mean i was joking with some friends the other day like when i started or when i did my marketing degree i remember going back in my for my final year and there was suddenly a digital marketing model uh, module right. and and people were very excited about these things called websites that you could, you could have <laughs> if you were a business and that would be really good like it might be really useful nobody really knew what it was for but it, it might yeah. be useful um and like now you can't we're, we're so online and everything is so live and recorded you just can't get away with not really meaning it i don't think so i think that's the that's the kind of the thing that we all have to think about is when we're putting this stuff out there what does it mean for our business do we really mean it and and how do we live that how do we then give examples that that maybe aren't for the camera or because you're trying to create some interest it's just because it's the right thing to do and it's part of your your authentic self um, and it's i guess it's it's all good for that recruitment model as well isn't it amy because you're kind of you're on about that messaging and what you really believe in and i think that you know you've obviously seen quite a lot of change in your time in marketing and i think the younger generation and the people coming into the business they want to see what you believe in. They want to know that your values align with their values. Yeah, and I, I like you know, I'm I'm well aware of how much time I spend on my phone because it tells me every Sunday that it's gone up every week, even <laughs> though I've rolled my eyes at my husband all week because he's on his phone too much. Um, but if we think we're on it a lot, that the the kind of generations below us, they are they are researchers, they are analytics, they they know everything about companies, they want to understand the culture, they want to know what they're walking into and if it fits with them. And they're actually not afraid to point out if it doesn't. So if we, 
as a as an industry i suppose as well um as well as as individual businesses if we think that they're not checking out comments in community groups on facebook or well they're not yeah. on facebook that's that's me but they're on instagram because <laughs> um, <laughs> i'm not cool stuff. anymore but you know that they are <laughs> yeah they, they are they're, they're all over um yeah yeah, they're checking out if there's any operators doing TikTok dances and if they look happy about it. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it, it is, they they know and they will judge by what they find because they're looking for evidence online. So the, the marketing model's got to be a bit more slick and transparent almost, I mean, a bit more out. Do you know what, it's funny when you were talking about um, branding and, and doing what's best for a company, not that long ago, I saw a company on LinkedIn uh, I don't know if you saw this or not, but they put out, um, they had like some anniversary that they'd done and it was really great. And then they'd put out their company calendar. <laughs> I'm laughing because it was just, it was just horrendous. It was the worst thing I've ever seen. So um, they put out their company calendar and it was like um, girls in high vis, not a lot of high vis. Uh, quite scantily oh, okay. dressed, <laughs> posing around. And this is only, no. this, I'm only talking about six months ago. I'm not like going back to the oh, 90s. I, I missed this. How did I miss this? <laughs> I, I, took, I took screenshots so I can send them to you just so you can um, <laughs> observe. But um, it was it was quite a marketing faux pas, I would say, in this day and age. Mm. And it, it wasn't the most well-received thing that I'd ever seen. <laughs> No, I mean, but you do sort of think, don't you? I mean, uh, how does that, how does that still happen? Like, you know, I know times, uh, uh, you know, we have to be careful how we judge the past, don't we? Because it's the past and it's different times. No, I agree. But when it's, when it's now, you do just think, how is this still happening? How did nobody make that call? Because lots of people will have seen that before it went out, you know. Who signed it? I just saw it and I went, who yeah. signed off on this? And then the post was like really proud about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm laughing, but because I, I, it was just a situation where I thought, like you said, the past is the past. And, you know, I, I expect a lot of these things went on in the past, you know, trade shows. It was mm-hmm. women stood around, scantily clad, a lot of guys taking photos oh, with yeah. them. I, I expected it. It yeah. happened. It, it's, you know, no judgment. It, it, it is what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I, I was saying someone yesterday. Yeah. Oh, it's but yeah. I mean, I was talking to someone yesterday about the first SED that I went to when SED was around, and there were there were girls in hot tubs on stands, and I just I just remember walking around thinking, oh wow, what like what have I come to? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I know. So I used, I used to go to a security trade shows, Amy, and the fire trade shows back in the day when I worked in advertising sales, and and there was a lot mm. of this. You know, there was a lot of um, women just stood around, and they they quite clearly women who have just been brought in for the show. <laughs> Not, you know, yeah, they, yeah. they weren't experts in the field of fire safety. No, they were there for a specific reason, and it, you know, and it wasn't that many years ago. But I think things have changed quite rapidly, and I, I do see things sometimes mm-hmm. a bit like you must. And I think, who signed off on that and thought that was a cracking idea? Yeah, you do wonder. You do wonder. Um, I, I think it's that. I and I. 
I suppose, I mean, not that I think I would ever sign off on a on a high-vis, scantily clad women calendar, but it is easy, I think, in marketing sometimes to be a bit head down. You sort of, you're, you're so used to what is happening in your business and focusing on that that you kind of forget to look up and and have a and, and do that sort of horizon scan what are my competitors doing what are people saying what what's the kind of current climate of feeling on different topics and and have i really tried to understand if what i'm saying is going to look wrong or be inappropriate in the context of those things because everything changes so fast and um so i, I you know sometimes I, I really feel for for marketing teams where it's gone a bit wrong because um i'm not saying in this example but yeah i i can see how it happens yeah. it's very easy to be to be inward looking no and i i can see that and i i you know you, you get the odd apology out there from things don't you and and sometimes things i i think like like you said it's not meaning to upset people or to rub people i don't think any yeah. Anyone who works in marketing means to upset a, a group of people or rub them up the wrong way, and it's uh, yeah, no, I, I can quite see how these things happen. Pieces, so. <laughs> yeah, you want it to go well. You want everyone to go. That's it. That's brilliant. Everyone, yeah. Everyone, email them. Tell them that's that's a really good campaign. Yeah, like the whole purpose of marketing teams is generally to make people like something. So, like you know, that's what you have to come back to is. That there, nobody in marketing is there because they're thinking, oh, how can I really upset people today? It's just not, <laughs> not generally in our nature. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I can understand. This I can understand. <laughs> um, Amy, so you're, you've obviously been through some areas of transition. Um, you've seen quite a lot of change in marketing um, from where you started to where you're including the the all uh, brilliant website coming in which yeah, so <laughs> fantastic <useful. laughs> which is very useful um and you're working with machine max now so i had a look into machine max and what you guys do and you are pushing it forward again i would say and changing the narrative as to what people expect in construction which mm -hmm. To me, it's it it sounds brilliant. I I had a flick through the website and a, and a good read on it all. I can't pretend that I understand it all. Analytics, AI, you know, I'm like, okay, wow, neither do I. Don't it's worry. just <laughs> it's just so futuristic. I'm like, but it's brilliant. Can you explain a little bit about what machine? Well, as much as you want, you can go into it. But um, about what machine max do? Yeah, of course. Um, so so i joined machine max i got to know the team at machine max because when i was working at flannery um flannery were i think i'm right in saying they were the first hirer in the uk to partner with machine max um and i, I again i keep saying i was lucky i was really lucky at flannery because they they did really want to push the kind of digital themes they wanted to understand where they could add value and I remember going to sales training, which the team at the Machine Max did, and they walked us through the dashboard and explained that what they were doing was taking data from the Flannery machines. So we call them an OEM API, because you know everybody loves an acronym in this business. Um, 
So the API feed comes in from the OEMs and we put it all together in one platform. We make sure that the data is comparable. So in lots of instances, um, OEMs might compare I or classify idling differently or have different definitions right. for things. So we are AI, another um, uh, acronym. Um, our intelligence level recognizes that and levels it all out, puts it in a platform, and then from a from a, a hirer's perspective, they can look at that data and say, "Where's my fleet? How's it being used? Is it you know where we think it is um, or where we think it should be?" And they can then give that data to their to the end user. Um, so you know, contractors or or even clients might want to see it, and then you can start to understand if you've got the right fleet mix, um, what your what fuel is being used. Once you can understand fuel, you can understand carbon. Um, and I think particularly in the UK, the biggest kind of impact that that data can have is understanding idling. Um, and we know that idling happens like you can't eliminate idling we're never going to get a site where machines are utilized 100 percent of the time um but you can i mean generally speaking it's not unusual for us to to on average see sort of 40 percent idle time and higher and if you can get that down by 10 20 percent it has a huge impact on sustainability and obviously on cost because you're saving fuel um so yeah, so we, we do that with data. We do have hardware. So if machines aren't connected or if machines aren't providing enough data, um, then we can, we can put hardware onto machines. And then the next step is that we will start to help customers to understand productivity. So we, we do things like cycle time, payload. Um, we can tag where people are tipping product. Um, or spoil uh, what that is and then you know so it's all about being more efficient um, and the the kind of the bit that I really like about Machine Max is that they that we're very open so what we've always said is if people want to integrate data from other sources then we can do that we you know we have a right. we have a big tech team and a big engineering team and that's that's what we do so we're now looking at things like um, introducing different safety innovators. So we've recently announced um, a partnership with Plinks and a company called Sensing Feeling. And then you've got this like one data source that you can start to use to to manage your site better, to manage your teams or your supply chain. Um, so yeah, so that's I'm not that was a really long answer, and I'm not no, sure I've made it. Do any you know clearer. what it wasn't? It's absolutely fascinating. When I it, when I was kind of reading the benefits of what you do, like improve sustainability, which is on everyone's agenda at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know the kind of net zero narrative and changing the way we work and future fuels and you're reducing cost, mm -hmm. enhancing productivity, and helping with safety as well. So I mean, for me. I go, that's a no-brainer. Everyone needs that. But, but I, how do you find people are receptive to it, Amy? Because I know the construction industry as a whole tends to be, you know, a little bit old-headed, kind of stubborn, uh, thinks that, you know, what we do is the right way we do it. It's the way we've always done it, and it's how it's always worked. Mm -hmm. I've, I've spoken to other people who work in the construction tech space, and they said it can be hard. It can be hard to change that kind of mindset and sell 
what you're doing well even though you know it's brilliant you know it's going to save money it's going to save time it's going to make everything a lot better but is that a hard sell uh yeah i'm I'm not gonna lie um it, it is and i it's not so it is definitely because change is hard and i don't think that's not just a an hour industry thing is it that's yeah. a, an everybody thing um but i think it's also compounded by the fact that it's so busy when you work in construction like having the headspace to introduce new processes new workflows do training like all of those things it, it, it's hard because ultimately you've got to get a job done quickly and on time and on budget and, and safely and so yeah that that tends to be the the concern is is how do we implement this are we going to actually have the capacity to do something with this data um and I, and I think kind of contech is is definitely going through that at the moment is that we've we we talk a lot about digitalization in our space and it's great and there's lots and lots of benefits but actually there is data everywhere and it's about having the the kind of skills to understand what you've got to do with that data because if you're not doing anything with the data yes. then you know I shouldn't say this really but there's not really any point in having it um so it's yeah and I, and I think companies like us and, and there's lots of great examples in our industry the, the companies that will win at this are the ones that can make their insights actionable um so the ones that can make it easy for people to interpret give it to them where they want it so you know it's great we love our platform we think it's amazing but not everybody wants to use machine max um some people have got systems that they've built themselves some people have got legacy systems they've got oem systems because they've they've got um not a particularly mixed fleet so let's just give them the data like we can we can provide an api api out and then that way people can use that data where they want it. And I think that's that's the other thing that we, that that's the other big change for me. And and some people will now roll their eyes because they're like, oh, Amy's going to get back on her soapbox about data. But <laughs> like, if we can, as an industry, get our heads around sharing information, yeah. then that's the win. Like, and I, I, I say, I, I'm well aware we have to be careful that that, that doesn't become anti-competitive, but everybody keeping data in their silos of contractors or hirers or, or tech innovators that that doesn't serve the purpose that's not going to see the bold change that we need to make it's it's got to be available for people to analyze to understand to give context um otherwise i don't think that we will see the benefit as quickly as we can and that's kind of frustration frustrating given how quickly the innovations are coming through it is. It does seem to be a, a, a space. It's funny you saying that. A space that's changing really rapidly. Uh, mm. From even from. I mean, I, I can't remember anyone talking about this kind of stuff really two years ago, and now it seems like everyone's talking about it. Everyone's talking about data. Everyone's talking about uh, utilizing it. Everyone's talking about future fuels, and it just seems really. I mean, for me, it's quite exciting. It just seems really futuristic and mm. progressive. Yeah. Yeah, and it's I, really I, I guess exciting. how do we and keep I, doing that? Yeah. I th and I think it's about, 
like one of the big things I think is about managing the risks. So for all I've just sort of spent a few minutes talking about how it's important that we keep up momentum, we also have to be really mindful that what we're talking about in lots of instances is data about how people are performing or if they're doing things correctly, whether that's are they wearing the right PPE or are they idling too much? Yeah. And, it, and we will turn people off really fast if we use this to penalise. So this data has to be used for positive stuff. It has to be used for training, to recognise yeah. the people who are doing the right thing, not for highlighting this has gone wrong and it's this person's fault. That makes me really uncomfortable. And I think when you talk about managing that kind of change curve on site that will that that will be our blocker and and people will you know will do all that they can to make sure that the tech doesn't work because they're not engaged and they're fearful of it and yeah. and in some instances i can understand why that why they would feel like that so i think that's the that's the that's the trick here is how do we use this for good stuff not to find out who's doing what wrong and tell them off Oh, it's real like Superman kind of stuff, ain't it? So, you know, it, for me, and, so it is, and it, and I agree with you because you know, having worked on site, I could see, I can see what you're talking about, and I can see how this could go drastically wrong and become a finger point in exercise. Like, why were you not operating between the hours of one to three? And okay, if it wasn't your fault, why weren't they doing this? And it wasn't their fault, why weren't they doing this? And who does the fault blame? Who does it land with? Instead of being like, I think as an industry we we, we do things fairly badly on site. To be honest, there's a there's a lot of poor planning that goes on, and there's a there is a lot of time wasted, <laughs> and you know it, it does happen. You know, as a crane operator, where you'd be sat there for four hours of a day doing nothing, come five p.m. like ten loads are turning up, and mm -hmm. I, in in that way, I think it could be really useful. Like to analyze it but i think you're right when it comes down to people pointing fingers at people on site that's where the real danger will be when it becomes um more of a, a beating stick rather than a well this is a system problem we have to change to make things more efficient and more better for everyone um, yeah. yeah i can see that i can really see that and i hadn't thought about that before yeah yeah i think it's a bit it's a bit like um you know how do you how do we use this stuff so that rather than getting frustrated that people aren't wearing the right PPE, I know that that's not such a common thing anymore. But yeah. as an example, why why don't we use it to say, oh, hang on, we can see there's some risk here, so let's help people understand why it's important that they wear the, wear the right PPE or why it's important that they don't idle unnecessarily, um, or from a planning perspective. Like, how do we make sure that we've got the right people on site when this load arrives? And how can we predict that a bit better um, so that you're not you're not sort of wasting resource, but also so that you can start to look at things like um, sharing shifts and what flexibility that might give you um, from a from a personal perspective. You know, that's I, I think that's that's one of the things that I observe in construction is that we are still quite sort of. Um, fixated on these are site hours and this is when we work not this is when we need to work because it's the right thing for, for this plan or this project and um yeah so so all of that 
information can be found in data um, and how do we make sure that we don't you know run over on projects because we've made the same mistake um, that that's the other thing and and that comes back to that data sharing is that if we drive a culture where people hide mistakes then we can never learn from them do you know Amy, it's really weird listening to you because so much of what you talk about bearing in mind the, the space that you're talking about it translates to what I talk about so I, I talk about a lot about flexibility on site and why can't we offer more flexibility and we're so rigid in what we do and so many other industries do it a lot better than we do from kind of a recruitment mm -hmm. perspective and attraction you know people who do other things and people who have commitments and younger people so I mean to link these two things up my brain's like oh wow this is amazing this is surely this could change industry massively if people are open to it and if people understand all the data's there and what it's there for it could change it could blow the industry apart it could completely change how we work yeah and i think i mean i i was in before um we started our conversation i was listening to some some other podcasts um that, that you've done and, and one of the things that i heard you talking about which really stuck with me and which i i totally get is that we do so much work in our industry to get young people into industry and women into industry but if we don't have that flexibility and the recognition that you know women are uh, may well have children at some point during their career and therefore seven till five is just not feasible with school hours like it just doesn't work even with the best wraparound care and amazing grandparents like it doesn't work so how do we create an industry where people can stay in it once we've worked really hard to get them here? Um, and I, I, you know, that data isn't isn't going to be the the silver bullet for that. But but I think anything that we can do has got to help. I agree, and I think just un, from my understanding, just understanding the data and what we're actually looking at to make progressive changes could change all different areas in construction. So I think it's really I think it's really positive and in interesting. And we were talking before this and you were talking about Machine Max as a company as well and how you're a little bit different and actually quite progressive in, in terms of kind of ratios, male, female. Yeah, I mean, I've never, I've, and I mean this in a good way, I've never worked anywhere like Machine Max. Like, um, and this isn't a job ad, but uh, we are, <laughs> When I walked in on my first day, I looked around and I thought, oh, my goodness, but there's lots of there's lots of women here um, yeah. <laughs> and people from all different backgrounds. Um, yeah, I, I have so much flexibility in terms of where I work, like the expectation. I, I don't I don't ever have to feel like I have to hide the fact that I have children. I can be very honest. No, I'm really sorry. I can't make that meeting. I can't be in the office that day. I've got to go to the assembly or we've you know, got the carol concert or all those things that come up. Um, and not that I haven't necessarily had that, but I know that that I've often sort of shied away from being upfront about why yeah. it is that I can't do something like I've got yeah. a dirty secret, but actually it's just that I've got two very lovely children. Um, so yeah it's it's great uh, you know we have a female ceo um lots of our senior team uh, are female and yeah it's it's very different we we focus on things 
like flexibility, um, we have shared parental leave, all of these things, um, they make such a big difference. Uh, and and I, sometimes I'll talk about it with kind of peers who are in industry and they're like, but how does that work? So, well, actually it works really well. <laughs> We're not Everyone's really happy. <laughs> Everyone's really quite happy. Um, yeah, you know, we all see our children, and yeah, it's uh, nobody. Nobody's worried about about not being able to make the school run, and yeah, it's it's good. It's that work-life balance again that we talk so much about, and understanding that people actually do have lives and they do have commitments, and if we make things really hard for people. If we make it really hard for people and we make people feel really awkward and we make people feel like they have to hide who they are, this is where we're going to lose them. This is where we're going to lose yeah. the best minds in the industry because they either can't be who they are and, you know, it's affecting mental health. They can't live. They can't mm -hmm. do things. I mean, I've, I've, got, I've got hundreds of horror stories of things that have gone on, Amy, to people where people have been asked to change their life to an unreasonable amount just to work mm -hmm. and it surely I, I'm with you I think there's more to life than this there's got to be that balance and there's got and it, obviously you yeah. you guys at Machine Max have kind of nailed that and you I mean you seem progressive in all areas so uh, bravo I guess bravo yeah thanks <laughs> oh you know it's not you know we don't always get it right I can't we can't profess to be perfect but we the intentions there and um yeah, I, I think um, I always think it would be really interesting, and I I maybe have a biased view on this because my husband also works in construction. Um, but I wonder how many couples there are where both parties work in construction, because that juggle is is really I mean the juggle is real for everyone. Um, yeah. Whether it's you've got children or animals or or you've just got a busy life outside of work, there's always a juggle and there's always pressure. But it's the it, it, it's so, I talk to so many people where it isn't feasible for them to both stay in this industry because they can't find that flex. And that is, that's, that's gutting. I, such a, because we're really sad. We talk about our projects at home. We talk about our frustrations and diggers and like what's gone on. And, you know, it, it, it's part of our life and it will be part of our children's lives. So I think it's, it's a real shame that we can't make that work more often. I, I look also a construction couple. I, I well agree. So I mean, my <laughs> my other half's a crane operator, and he was working uh, last week, week before. He was working nights, so he was doing um, seven p.m. till seven a.m. It was quite far away mm -hmm. as well, so he was leaving the house at five p.m. to get there for seven, and he wasn't coming in till nine in the morning. I mean, <laughs> it was it was a every day he was in a state of depression looking at him, and it, it was horrendous. But if if I was still crane operating and I was doing days, and I used to work seven till six, I mean we'd never see each other. We actually just wouldn't no. see each other. It just it would just be another strain on work, another strain on life. And if we have children, my God, I don't know how we. Do, I, I don't know how people can do these things and you're right someone has to break someone has to give up what they're doing what they love what they've spent 10 years learning a trade into doing that so I completely agree you're, you're preaching to the choir absolutely 
Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I think I think it's really useful conversation, Amy. And I think it's it's really useful insight. And I, I want to thank you so much for being so honest. And um, thank you for telling me about your journey. And thank you for telling me about enlightening me about Machine Max. So I think because oh, I've always okay. kind of. <laughs> I know I've always kind of steered away from tech. I mean, we both know Peter Haddock and Peter Haddock's very techy. Mm -hmm. And um, I think because it's I'm always so intrigued, but because it's an area I don't fully understand, I always kind of step back a little bit and, and leave it to other people to talk about. But no, you've really enlightened me. Thank you. No, it's a it's a pleasure. I I never knew I would be able to talk about my journey in construction. It's a, I feel like um I feel like I've I've done a new thing today. So it's good. Um, and I think yeah, uh, like it it's nobody should ever feel that they don't want to talk about tech. I, I'm not techie. My background is all diggers. Um, and but like once you ask the questions if tech companies are open and want to have the discussion and want to explain then that really helps it helps that change because that's part of that change that we were talking about and that barrier that you get um so yeah i, I think anything anything that we can do to keep the conversation open and, and help people understand what the benefit is then that's what we should be doing love it amy i've got one more question to ask you to finish off the podcast and it's the mm -hmm. same question i ask everyone What's one thing we can all do in industry to make things a little bit better? Um, oh, blimey. Okay. Um, so I think it is to, um, to question our gut feeling on things. And I don't just mean about, you know, um, sort of unconscious bias, but yeah, what, what is it that's made us react to that thing? And is it a good thing or is it a reaction that we need to question? So whether that's about looking at policies for shared parental leave or sharing some data with someone or, um, yeah, investing in something that's new or changing behaviour, like look at your gut reaction and think, why, why have I felt like that? And is that reasonable? And is there a way that I can, I can, I can tweak that reaction to make the outcome a bit more positive? So I hope that makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I love it. Thank you so much, Amy. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Have a lovely Friday.